Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hello and welcome to the Forum Club. I'm Bill or I'm joined by Anthony Slater. What's going on, Slater? I am good. Um, we might get a series. We might get a potentially six gamer for the first time. I mean, I know it's 2-1. It could definitely still end in five but uh this feels more threatening than the 2-1 going against portland probably the 2-1 going against houston portland one fell over houston we wanted to see how they'd respond in game four but denver the confidence is there a lot more than it was with houston you know it's funny how these things uh shift in the playoffs and it happens in any series but you know we're, we're talking on on wednesday morning the lakers just lost game three um, they're up 2-1. The sky is not falling by any stretch of the imagination, but it, it, it just like you said, it feels like a series. It feels like there could be more twists and turns ahead of us. Whereas, you know, 24 hours ago, if we'd been talking, we would have been like, man, this this could be a sweep. And all of a sudden, now I'm thinking, oh my God, the things that that hurt the Lakers in Game 3 were the same things that hurt them at the end of Game 2, in the, in the second half of Game 2, before Anthony Davis hit that incredible shot. Is this a trend? Could the Lakers be in trouble? And then, of course, Game 4 will come, the Lakers will win by 25, and we'll be back to Lakers in 5. But right now, we're in that sweet spot where we don't know what is going to happen, and it's good for discussion, debate, and it's especially good for the Forum Club podcast. Well, so there's been 12 quarters in this series. The Lakers outplayed the Nuggets in the first six. The Nuggets outplayed the Lakers yes. in the last six. So it's basically, you know, a tie, essentially. One of the two has to have one two games because it's three game series uh, and because of one Anthony Davis shot it is the Lakers who are up 2-1 so you would rather be the Lakers because you want the lead in the series but I would say if you could pick if you would have rather you know have been the better team the first six quarters of the series or the final six leading into game four you would take the trend of the Nuggets yes um, you know they have the momentum they do not have the series lead but it feels like we're going into game four going how do the Lakers respond not how does yes. Denver respond the pressure is on the Lakers going into game four. Both teams. I mean, because like Denver kind of, I shouldn't say has to win it because we've seen them come back from 3-1. But this is what I love about playoff series when you get deeper. Pressure's on both teams, right? Mm-hmm. But to me, I see the Lakers have not played well in a game and a half. And Denver has played pretty free with the exception of that five-minute stretch in the fourth quarter of game three when the Lakers started mixing up defenses. Rondo turned into a superhuman Loch Ness monster playoff Rondo again for a stretch. And LeBron was getting out in transition. And then the Nuggets got a little tight. You could see them really kind of feeling it slipping away. But then they settled. The Lakers missed some shots and, and Denver pulled out and got the win. But to me, the Lakers need a big start in game four. They need to come out and settle things very quickly. They were outscored in five straight quarters, which you alluded to from halftime of game two through the third quarter of game three. And then the fourth quarter, the Lakers make a run, but Denver wins down the stretch. So they win that quarter by default. So to me, we need to see a big Lakers statement at the start of game four. And I don't know about you. We were off base last week, by the way. Full mea culpa. We said stay small. Sorry, Anthony Davis at the five. Um, the Lakers have done it. They've gone small. It's had varying degrees of effectiveness. But one thing we we did say was if you go small, you got to keep Dwight in the rotation somehow. And I'm ready now, three games into this series, to say that we need to see Dwight Howard in the starting lineup. 
I'm also not ready to say mea culpa. I didn't say Frank Vogel was going to do what we suggested him to do, but I still would maintain that would be my suggestion. Do you think Frank Vogel listens to this podcast and just does the opposite? Is it like, is it personal? Yeah, could be. Uh, I mean, whatever the opposite of uh, us saying don't play JaVale McGee, he seems to continue to want to start JaVale McGee. That has to be over. It should be over. Game four, it needs to be over. Yeah, and I, you know, you're saying start Dwight, and they have done that in two of the three second halves, which tells you when Frank Vogel feels threatened in this series, he goes to Dwight Howard starting, and I just don't understand why he wouldn't feel threatened going into quarter one of game four. So yes, I do believe he'll probably start Dwight Howard. I guess I would say he should, although so my suggestion, as you know, if we rewind it to the last podcast, would be the same. Start Anthony Davis and uh, Dwight, keep Dwight Howard as the energy big off the bench, particularly when Davis isn't in the lineup, you know, when he's on the bench. But also, how did they come back last night? What was the lineup they came back in the fourth? They were playing super fast, quick basketball with a bunch yeah. of guards, LeBron and Davis at the five. That's... Uh, I think they plus 10 in the fourth with that. So I'm not ready to say don't go small, but I would use Dwight. I agree with everything you're saying. The counterpoint would be that can you use Dwight to get in Jokic's head to disrupt Jokic kind of from the start, to get off to a good start, to disrupt kind of the, the momentum that Denver has had now over six quarters. That to me would be the advantage. Just play that bully ball intimidation factor from the jump in game four. It's like shooing a pesky fly away to me would be the parallel. But I, I completely hear what you're saying. And, and, and maybe you still go with that small lineup and, and down the stretch. But I just feel like Dwight has relished this villain role so well. And it's obviously exclusively for the purpose of of disrupting Jokic, I don't give Jokic the chance to get comfortable in Game 4. Yeah, but, I mean, there's risk to that, too. And and one thing I would say is, like, Game 1, Dwight was super impactful, super petsky. He definitely got under Jokic's skin. That was a huge reason why the Lakers pulled away in that game. Game 2, the referees kind of adjusted to it. They seemed to be keeping their eye on it. He wasn't as effective getting, you know, kind of under Jokic's skin. And Jokic has been really good since the start of the second half of Game 2. He's keeping this role, this idea, this villain you know thing going but it's kind of losing its effectiveness yeah, a little bit true. as the series has gone on what you're saying is right maybe they start him and he comes out and Jokic is really struggling early and the Lakers are up you know 14 to 4 and you're like wow great move by Vogel other chance following Dwight Howard and one for Jokic you know Denver up 8-2 Dwight Howard's immediately in foul trouble and everyone's kind of looking around like well that card already didn't work and you can't go to it again uh so I think Anthony Davis should be the starting center. Uh, I will maintain that. But I guess if you wanted to counterpoint me, Markeith Morris has not had a good series, and Kyle Kuzma no. has not had a good series. And those are the two guys you would bring in to play in the, those units. We'll be back after this. I think there is real value there that if you can keep Dwight sort of as a counterpunch. Also, the more he's on the court, the better chance he has of getting ejected from one of these games. I mean, he's, he's gotten teed up in games two and three, and it seems like he's just committed to getting one T a game at this point. Well, I mean, look, the reality is when we were talking pre-series, we didn't even really know if Dwight was going to play. Nobody was thinking about him. That includes the referees weren't thinking about him. Yeah. That wasn't a pre-game discussion point within the league. You know, Denver, I'm sure behind the scenes, talking to the league after game one that was a big story and clearly the referee's like we're not letting some of this fly because some of the stuff he was doing in game one was a little over the top sure. uh, and you know they clearly like really kind of tighten that up on him and what does he got two t's the last two games mm-hmm. and he's still 
physically is a you know is a force, and he's better than Javale, uh, and he's particularly better than Javale in this matchup. And I do think Dwight has a role, but it's not work. It's not going to keep working like it did in Game One. That was just a surprise to everybody when he came in and did that. Uh, let's back it up to Game Two, uh, just because we haven't had a chance to talk about it, and I, I think it would be a miss on our part to let the moment pass without acknowledging. Um, the moment uh, at the end of game two when Anthony Davis hits the the game winner over Jokic. Great pass from Rondo. I think great decision by LeBron just to stay put and draw Plumlee, although I don't know how much credit LeBron gets for Plumlee's action on that. But, um, you know, I wrote about it, you know, really just an instant classic of a moment for Anthony Davis. And obviously we don't quite know where it's going to fit into Lakers history because we don't know what's going to happen in this series. We don't know if the Lakers are going to win the championship. But even with last night's loss, the Lakers are still the champion or the, the favorites to win the championship at this point. If that happens, um, Anthony Davis hitting a game winner in the Western Conference Finals, uh, to me, climbs pretty high on the list of iconic Lakers moments. Can you just take us back to that place later and what you saw and why you thought it, it worked? Yeah, um, well, mostly because of Plumlee, why it worked, right? The, remember even going back to the bubble games where he made the mistake and let Kuzma get the game winning yes. three? I mean, he's had a rough, uh, you know, final moments against the Lakers. Um, I mean, it's also just the skill of Davis and his size to be able to hit the, those deep uh, left wing threes. He actually, like two minutes prior to that, hit like a step back from that same spot. It was actually a tougher shot. It was big too, uh, you know, in a late close game. Um, but also, it's interesting. What we're learning now is the series has now moved the game further and it's tightened up. Is number one how big that shot may end up being if this really is a six or even potentially a seven-game series. If it's just a five-gamer, you're like, well, you know, if he doesn't hit the shot, they're still winning the series. Now we're getting this more feeling like, man, imagine if he doesn't make that shot and it's 2-1 Denver right now. Um, But the other side of it is what you were kind of alluding to of like, that shot loses a lot of its legend if the Lakers don't win the title. Uh, Particularly if he doesn't play well and let's say they lost the series to the Nuggets because as we learned last night, he was the story of you know national media for for the 48, 48 hours before game three. Then he gets two rebounds in 43 minutes, doesn't touch the ball in the final five minutes, doesn't have a good game. And today it's like, hey, where were you, Anthony Davis? And, and you know, you see it with the Clippers. Uh, you know, all season long, you know, they were being hyped as uh, the favorite. And then when they come crumbling down, you know, we're a mean sports media machine. And we will come after you hard, and we will not be talking about that brilliant game winner if they don't win this series. Particularly if, if they lose this series. I mean, if, if something happens in the finals and it doesn't ha- and, and they lose, I think the, the shot still has a lot of life. You know, Derek Fisher's .4 shot against the San Antonio Spurs was not in a year they won the title. But it was um, so... It was so clutch. It was so this continuation of, you know, great moments that the Lakers had had in the early 2000s that it that it had a lot of context that made it um, a classic. Uh, Robert Ory's shot um, to me is is still the, the greatest because because of all that it meant. It not only did it, you know, keep the Lakers from going down 3-1 in that series to the Kings, it really kept alive the dreams of a three-peat, which they eventually achieved. You know, you go down 3-1 to the Kings, you know, it's okay. The, the Lakers dynasty run falls apart a year earlier or two years earlier than it than it did because you keep the three-peat alive. And so that was the pressure in that moment. For this, it's, you know, it, it's obviously get some separation on the Nuggets, try to get the Lakers back to the promised land for the first time in a decade. And the first real signature moment of Anthony Davis's Lakers career. Really his career, honestly. Well, yeah, abso- absolutely. But I mean, you know, the, the whole thing is, it's like, it, it, he could have, if he did a game winner in one of those uh, couple of series he'd played in, um, in New Orleans, it wouldn't have carried the same weight because 
There wasn't championship, like legitimate championship expectations. No matter what, unless that something really, really crazy had happened in New Orleans or it happens down the road, nobody was just going to care in the same way that they do about a, a, about a signature Lakers moment. So, you know, Anthony Davis, everything he's doing now is under a completely new microscope. Lakers fans are, are looking for the sign that he is... Not just, you know, a great secondary star to LeBron, but that he is the guy who's going to lead them for the next decade and win multiple, multiple championships after LeBron is gone. That's what they're looking for. And so a shot like that, which is not only clutch in the moment, also serves as this great harbinger of of hope for what could be down the road. And again, that's all very unfair to put on one shot, right? Because it was just a great shot that won them a very important game. But there is sort of a context of what it means for Anthony Davis and this franchise. You know, you mentioned the Ori shot, which both the ones you mentioned are probably like top 10 playoff shots ever, top 15. But when you say the Ori shot, I like envision it in my brain. And the problem is like he hits the shot and I see the Staples Center explosion. I see that crowd and the background and the freneticism. Or even, you know, you think to the Shaq Aliyut from Kobe, you see behind the basket the, you know, the crowd reaction, the tenseness of the arena and then the explosion. And, um, you know, LeBron mentioned it in his postgame that night, but we're missing that. And the deeper we get into the playoffs without fans in the arena, um, you know, I I credit the NBA for all they've done, but we're, we're really missing the fans. And I've been in West Finals games and as the playoffs you know, uh, kind of come to a head and, and, and you get down to those final four teams and then it, the NBA Finals, which is a just extreme event by itself. You won't believe the type of arena atmospheres, even two hours before tip for NBA Finals games. Uh, and it's just, it's not there. And you feel a little bit, I you know, I, again, I love what the NBA has done. I think they've 100% done as good as they possibly could have in given the current circumstance. But these games don't feel quite as emotional or, you know, dense as they could have uh, if these games were in Staples Center and then move into Denver and you look across the conference if this was going American Airlines and the Miami vibes yeah. up to Boston and like you know dropkick Murphy's yes. you know pregame and the, the the green Boston crowd going crazy so I, I am a little sad when you mentioned the Ori shot because I Davis missed that moment in Staples Center and I think us as a sporting public are really starting to miss the fans as these playoffs go on. Well, and just think about what that would do to further uh, entrench AD with the Lakers fan base and and vice versa. I mean, this is a marriage that is going to go on for years. I mean, I don't think anyone thinks that Anthony Davis is going to sign with the Bulls this 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 not summer, but this offseason. I think that I think the ship has sailed on Anthony Davis looking for greener pastures. Things have worked out too well with the Lakers. But imagine if that was even the least bit at at question, having a moment like that at Staples Center with that fan base, giving him the response that you can imagine, you know, just even if you gave it the, the facsimile of what Robert Ory got in um, in 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 04, or the Shaq Kobe lob, it just completely changes the gravity of the moment. And and it's too bad that Anthony Davis hasn't gotten that because he's been he's been bathed in love and everything at Staples Center. You know, they've they've given him you know everything they could during during the regular season. But there's a def- different intensity and oh, appreciation yeah. during a, the Western Conference Finals. Jeez. Yeah, well, just imagine if that is a uh, game two on a Sunday afternoon. Because, uh, you know, that game's played on Sunday. That would have been a Sunday afternoon game in L.A. that 
you know, not only does he get the moment where explosion of, of the fans that they mob him, but also, you know, he goes down in the tunnel in Staples Center. He does nine different interviews and it's packed tunnels. The streamers come from the from the roof and, you know, I Love L.A. is playing. I mean, it's it's just a completely different atmosphere. And then, you know what? He leaves the arena and he drives back, you know, through the L.A. hills. And then he's like going out the next couple of days in L.A. And, you know, there's just... That's just life. That's just part of life that we're missing, really, honestly, right now. And this goes so far beyond, you know, a basketball game. It's just it's just the reality of the situation, I guess. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm feeling it more. The deeper we get, the more isolated each game is. And the fact that my brain's like, man, this is this really a conference finals game? Yeah. Well, and, and, I mean, and, and Frank Vogel made a joke about it yesterday pregame. But game three would obviously have been in Denver at altitude. And there's... And that's a storyline that we're missing. We're just missing the idea of going into a place that is historically very difficult for visiting teams. Like you said, the atmosphere at TD Garden. I mean, the idea of the the sixth man or, you know, the 13th man, whatever you want to call it, being the arena is real. I mean, the home environment is a factor, especially in in these big moments. That's why game sevens are so intense. Uh, You know, home court advantage is not the deciding factor, but it is certainly a factor. And it, it... and it just doesn't exist in the bubble. It, again, it's like, you know, the Lakers should be playing at altitude. They should be they should be answering questions about whether or not, you know, going to Denver has thrown them off. And that's one thing that the NBA for all, again, we'll take it. We're grateful that this is that this is in place. It's certainly better than um, what the the New York Knicks are going through and the and your Warriors, you know, ten months without basketball. But we're really missing, and I agree that as the playoffs go on, you're feeling you're feeling that because you didn't have that backdrop on this great, iconic, unforgettable moment. Yeah, you see the stat like I think it's the Celtics who eleven straight games at one point. I think it still might be going on eleven straight games. The technical road team has uh, won. <laughs> it's like <laughs> imagine if that actually happened. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, in a normal playoff. So it's and it's just like the East Finals and West Finals are on the same court. By the way, we're about to get this in the MLB. They're doing the MLB playoffs where the AL is playing at Dodger Stadium in an empty Dodger Stadium at Petco Park, and the NL is going to play in like uh, the Astros Stadium and um, where the the Rangers New Park. That's going to be weird. Think about think about uh, like high level October playoff baseball. With with the fans and and those moments and every sport is is going through this. You know, Slater, we're gonna have a lot of time to discuss what um, this looks like for the NBA and next season and beyond. But you know, you start seeing things just in the news. The Metropolitan Opera of New York is shut down for another year out of concerns for COVID nineteen. And the NBA, Adam Silver said yesterday on CNN. Uh, with Bob Costas, that the league is most likely not starting until early 2021, but that they do envision, and this has been reported, you know, something closer to an original, you know, or to a to a traditional setup with home games and road games and some fans in the arena. The way this is still evolving, but it's it is hard to see how the league is going to get back there even that quickly, and it's all weird. Everything, everything is weird, and it's going to stay weird for a long time. I think is kind of the takeaway. Yeah, and then you also watch college football this past weekend, like I did, and it's like, oh, they're at Georgia Tech, and it almost looks like half the stands are full. And you know, I went to Oklahoma State, and you know, we, our coach is not necessarily, um, you know, a believer in a lot of things that's going on there. But you know, I think they're they probably had eh, twenty five thousand in their stadium, so. 
it's it's a weird exp- it's, it's a yeah. weird experience watching watching sports with fans because it's it's great to see right like it's just like it, it, it is it's a very satisfying viewing experience and it feels like something that we were familiar with and we know and it's it's fall it's getting a little chillier in Los Angeles by LA standards and you know turning on the TV and seeing some Big 12 football you know is sort of a a comfort in a sense but then you see fans and you consider the moment we're in and you don't feel quite as good about it as um as 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 you want to so i mean uh, we're all hoping for the best in the sporting world um but uh you know we're all, we're all sort of uh spectators in this moment let's bring it back sorry we'll be back after this hey i'm Taz malice of no dunks on the athletic do you want to walk into a room with your chest puffed out your neck long and your shoulders broad of course you do for me Getting clothes that fit properly can give me the confidence I need to do just that. Indochino hooked me up with the gear that fits perfectly. I dreaded getting dressed for my Zoom meetings, but now I change for each one with a big smile on my face. I did a virtual fitting on Indochino's slick website for them to get my measurements. I didn't have to talk to a single human. There are so many options. Here are a few I chose. A long shirt. As I tuck it in, I got a no dunks monogram and I decided against the shirt pocket. I sincerely did not think that custom fit clothing was this affordable and all customizations are included in the cost. The website keeps your measurements on file so you never have to re-enter them. The best part, Indochino suits start at just $2.99 with all customizations included. Indochino is a no-brainer if you're getting married. Visit one of the Indochino showrooms across North America or book a virtual appointment like I did and shop online at Indochino.com. And right now, you'll get $30 off any purchase of $3.99 or more when you enter code TAS, not ASS, TAS, T-A-S, at checkout. That's Indochino.com, promo code TAS. I got a question for you. Okay, hit me. Who have you been more impressed with in this by in this series, uh, Jokic or Jamal Murray? I think Jamal Murray, just because he's been able to do against the Lakers what he did in the previous rounds, and I, I thought the Lakers would have better luck defending him because of what they did to neutralize the ball dominant scoring guards that they encountered in the first two rounds. He's been better than Harden or Lillard was against yes. him. Now Harden and Lillard didn't have like the outlet that is Jokic, but he's been better than Lillard and Harden. He has I mean the shots he hit at the end of game three to ice it were I mean many people made this observation online, so I'm certainly not bringing anything original to the table. Uh you might have some perspective on this, but uh Curry esque. You know, just the the way he was hitting those shots, the way he was um, stepping into them. Somebody somebody pointed out the way he just dropped his hands, like he touched the hot stove on that on that last three. Um, just reminded of Steph Curry. And and listen, it's not a fair comparison, and comparisons generally suck. But it is it is to me very clear that Jamal Murray has has escalated into superstardom in these playoffs. He is a he is a he is a franchise guard. He is an all he's a perennial all star caliber guard now going forward. He has arrived. It's like kind of almost like what happened? How did this happen so quickly? He's never averaged more than I think eighteen a game. He's never shot better than like thirty six or thirty seven percent from three. Like I I do tend to wonder like how much this bubble environment for some reason just you know rocked. Yeah, that's him. true. But again, I I agree with you. I mean, he is 
done stuff that you know I've in the same exact environment that Lillard and Harden were unable to do to this Lakers defense. He's shooting like 50, 47, 88 uh, shooting percentages in these playoffs. Uh, But I also am like, it is still somewhat of a small sample. You know, basketball, they say a small, you know, it's not considered like a, a, a sample you should take that serious until it's 20 games or more he's played 17 playoff games um but still i mean just but he was also doing he was i mean and listen i mean this is not the same but he was doing it in the seeding games too he was great yeah. in the seeding in the seeding rounds and then uh, I, I you know i don't know if we can say if we think it was the the donovan mitchell matchup where you've got two guys uh same draft class i think same draft class right yeah. who, who who you know obviously have done had a lot of battles there in the uh in the great rocky mountain west and and so there was something where they kind of seemed to be pushing each other back and forth, 50-point games and all that. And he just carried that through, um, you know, in, against the Clippers and now the Lakers. He, to me, is the bigger, you know, swing factor in the series than even Jokic, who, but again, it's the combo of them. The way they play off each other, the way they, um, the the way, that, you know, their little screen game uh, works, to me, is something the Lakers still haven't been able to figure out. That is, to me, the, the thing that is has been the biggest difference as, as to why, you know the Nuggets have been able to to um, play have the success they've had over the last game and a half because those two are just doing are are completely comfortable offensively. Yeah, it's interesting. Even if they let's say go down to the Lakers in five or six games, um, the landscape of the West is going to feel different heading into next year because they will feel like a much more legitimate. Like you know, as we're going into the season. Hey, yes, the two LA teams. Yeah, here come the Warriors again too. But like the Nuggets, they've they've proven it. Um, whereas in previous seasons, you're like, yeah, Denver might have a good regular season record, but don't worry about them. I think we can now say they are a playoff team. They are a playoff tested team. Last year they played two seven game series, San Antonio and Portland, um, and then this year they played two seven game series. I mean, this team has had their um, backs to the wall. They've had they've had to you know make these inspired comebacks in series. That you know, when we get in, into next season and we're when we're doing our preseason rankings, even if the Nuggets don't win this series, you have to respect what they've done in the playoffs for the last two years and the experience that these very young guys have, having gone through these battles. It's a much more experienced playoff team than the Lakers. If you take out, I mean, the, obviously, okay, fine, take the out the three guys. Playoff player, sure, <laughs> sure, but like, I mean, you've got LeBron, Rondo, and Danny Green, who are you know very, very battle-tested players in the postseason. But the Lakers have a lot of young guys who whose only playoff experience has really been this year. All the Nuggets young guys have been through, with the exception of Porter Jr., have have been in real, true battles you know, already because of the experience last year. And I think that matters. I think it matters for a guy like Monte Morris, who was really good in Game 3. Well, let's talk about one of those Lakers young guys, Kyle Kuzma. Um, not a good series from him so far. Um, kind of sloppy, not as defensively versatile and disruptive you know he does not have a block or a steal yet um he's been exploited at times and then i just i think the main thing offensively he in none so far in none of the 13 playoff games has he reached 20 points he's mostly sitting in single digits at times or like right around 10 there's just you know for a guy who was i thought overhyped pre-bubble in his career and then i was really kind of tossing the fire extinguisher on him before the seeding games and suddenly i was like he was kind of like starting to make me a little bit of a believer during the seeding games even a little bit in, we in dedicated entire podcasts to how down you were on kyle kuzma yes but you know i i was encouraged by him and it's he's he's kind of 
losing that momentum and he seems to kind of be losing a little bit of trust in Frank Vogel's rotation his minute totals they're still in like the low 20s but um he just I don't know this he hasn't been great in this series and really he hasn't been that good going really back to probably the Portland series like I didn't think he was that good against Houston yeah I mean his defense in the Portland series was really eye-catching and and I thought was was great for him and for his reputation and like he really seemed to have an understanding of what he needed to do to carve out a role on a championship caliber team and you're right I mean these games in the playoffs have just been you haven't noticed him like with with rare exception he hasn't done anything where you're like Kyle Kuzma had an impact on this game he's not rebounding he's not getting a He's not, you know, there's really no element that you would say he's he's playing well. I mean, he's shooting the ball okay. I mean, he's shot better than 50% pretty consistently throughout the postseason, but like, especially the last two series, but he's not taking a lot of shots. It's a really, you know, tidy, efficient contribution, which is useful, but he's also a volume scorer. That is supposed to be like the role he plays coming off the bench. And he's just not doing it. It's peculiar to me. It is. And, you know, and I've credited him in the past for, like, I kind of think long-term, he like, you know, he could be d- destructive to a team if he thinks he's the high-volume scorer at all times on a team that has Anthony Davis and LeBron. And I've been like, as you've seen, there are disastrous games he can have where, like, he, let's sure. say he came out in game four and he's like, yeah, I am going to take eight shots in the first quarter and I'm going to play make for others. And then suddenly he's one of eight with, like, three turnovers and you're like, geez, man, you should have just stood in the corner. And he did have a moment, I think, in game two where he and Michael Porter started exchanging shots a little bit. And you're like, okay, this is not what we need from Kyle Kuzma. Play with play within the system. Was it Chris Weber who was, like, called it beforehand? Like, yeah, Porter yep. scored on him and he's like, uh-oh, I think Kuzma's yeah. going to try to go back. And then he did. <laughs> Um, but so, you know, I, I, I struggle to criticize him too much for like, you know, only taking seven shots and maybe not being as, uh, offensively aggressive as he could possibly be. But I also just think he's almost leaned too much into the, like, I'm a role player, um, and floated too much in the background. I think there, you know, as, as I think he can be more, um, you know, kind of impactful in the game in those glue guy ways and like jumping in passing lanes, going after steals, really running the break hard where you're just getting, you know, it's not like you're using an offensive possession dribbling 10 times. You're just cutting the lane, beating someone down court, getting a layup. Like he can do more of that. I just kind of see him like floating around. He's been a little Andrew Wigginsy. You know how yeah. the, uh, the criticism of Wiggins is like, you have the talent, but a lot of times like we just don't notice you because you just kind of almost look like you're out there getting cardio in. It kind of seems at times Kuzma's been out there getting cardio in. Well, he's got to knock off the dumbass turnovers, too. I mean, the the one, he only had one turnover in game four, or excuse me, game three. But when he, he drives into the lane, you know, a little pump fake, gets into the lane, and then tries to kick to the corner. I don't know where that pass was going, but I mean, that went, you know, that went 10 rows deep if there were rows. He had a clean pass, and it's just like, where is he mentally that, that, that he's, and he had four turnovers in game two. You know, he doesn't have the ball enough to justify four turnovers. LeBron has six turnovers. You live with that because he's, he's on the ball for 37 minutes. Kyle Kuzma doesn't have, doesn't have that justification. So he's got to be smarter when he has the ball, and he's got to make those glue guy plays. And, and listen, I don't want him to be feeling himself too much and going, and going crazy with the shots either, but, you need him to be getting you 23 points periodically in the playoffs. He needs to he needs to rise up and give you the kind of game that Jeremy Grant gave the Nuggets in game 3 where it's you know it's a li- it's obviously it's a it's a little bit of an explosion of beyond what what you expect from him on a nightly basis but obviously he can do it. The fact that he hasn't had a 20 point game in 13 playoff games concerns me because he just hasn't even been a threat offensively yeah denver's depth is starting to show itself a bit more in this i mean the fact that i mean listen monte morris and and uh jeremy grant combined for what 40 points in game three 
Jokic and Murray combined for for 50. I mean, that's that is a hell of a secondary tandem. Yeah, you know, Rondo had a very strange game three where I thought he was awful. I thought he was maybe the worst Laker player in the first half. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, you look at the fourth quarter run where they turn it from 20-point deficit to three in about, what, four or five minutes. Like, he was everywhere. So they got to keep playing Rondo. They got to hope Rondo brings what he had been bringing in the Houston series and in the fourth quarter. Um, but Caruso's, I think, uh, lack of ability to make a shot is kind of starting to uh, be a little bit of a detriment. He was, I think he's 1 of 10 from three in the series. He was 0 of 5 in that really bad first half yesterday. Uh, he's still doing the Caruso things, but... You know, they look a lot better when he, you know, accidentally throws in a three once in a while. But when he's 0-5, it's like, eee, that's a, that's hurtful. How about the Lakers being down one in game two and coming out of a timeout and Alex Caruso getting the, the game-winning look? I mean, like, listen, I understand. Find the open man and Alex Caruso knocks that down. The legend only grows. But I just cannot imagine that that was what they were looking for out of that timeout. Obviously, it works out. Yeah. Danny Green gets the offensive rebound. He puts up a look. It's blocked. Rondo checks himself into the game, finds AD, nobody cares. But the idea that Alex Caruso is shooting the potential game-winning three in a playoff game uh, at this point is is not ideal. Well, let's expand beyond that. The Lakers' clutch time offense, yes, it has the highlight Anthony Davis three, but other than that, it's been it was bad in game two. You know, they 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 really kind of went to prevent offense down the stretch, tried to milk the clock and weren't weren't good. And then yesterday, they do, they climb back to within three with five minutes left. And I do know that that tires a team out when you ferociously come back. You're, you know, your legs start to go. You're just winded. But they, I think, scored one total point in the next seven possessions as Denver took over the game. And I think what you said there is notable. You know, you mentioned the Caruso, like, why is he taking the biggest shot of the game before the Davis three in game two? How about yesterday? Rondo took, I think, three shots out of those, uh, however many possessions. I think Caldwell Pope got one. Caruso might have shot another. Kuzma missed Kuzma. the three. There you go. Kuzma, oh, jelly leg Kuzma, by the way. He did not want any part of that three. He was like, oh, do I have to take this? He front rimmed it, and then Jamal Murray basically gets a run out three. And that, to me, was the game. That that little sequence was the, was, was the game. Zero Anthony Davis shots in the last 10 possessions. And honestly, that's probably more on Davis' lack of aggressiveness. He looked pretty tired, I, I thought, late. And some of that is, look, he's playing that AD at the five, and it was like a very, it was a rapid pace, right? Because like they were trying to come back, steals, fast break, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. So that will tire a big guy like Davis out. But zero Anthony Davis shots in the last ten minutes, while you, or ten possessions, while Rajon Rondo is using up half the possessions, like. Not great. Let's pause to tell you about Roman. In sports, we love nothing more than talking about dysfunction, particularly if it's the dysfunction of our favorite team's biggest rival. But what about when it's in regards to our own anatomy? Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't as easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo, or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. That's why there's Roman. With Roman, it is easy to talk about it with a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. Go to GetRoman.com forum today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com forum. GetRoman.com forum. 
And listen, I tend to get annoyed with people who say, oh, Anthony Davis isn't aggressive enough down the stretch, and Anthony Davis is not, you know, I, th- I thought, you know, the other night on the TNT broadcast, uh, Charles Barkley was going, you know, all in on on, on AD's inconsistency and, and not being being locked in enough. And because he's been so good over the course of the playoffs and throughout the, throughout this whole year, and that you're nitpicking a little bit at that point. But what you're describing is is so spot on. Like in the moment when you needed Anthony Davis to rise up and you and listen, hitting a shot in game two is one thing. Knocking down an isolated shot is one thing. But finding a way to put your team on your back or to share the load, at least with LeBron James, that's what you're there for. There is room to criticize Anthony Davis for disappearing down the stretch in game three because there was, it was a call to action. You're down three. I mean, I feel like the Lakers were a little, were a little too, they were a little too accepting of the fact that they got that game within three and then completely wilted. You know, the, 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 the narrative coming out of the locker room was basically, well, you know, it's, it's a really, it's a really tall order to come back from 20. You know, it's got to be a perfect storm, blah, 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 blah. The perfect storm had happened. They did it. They came back. They had it within three. And, and like at that point, it's okay. You were down three with five minutes to go. And then you completely fell apart. Why? And, Exhaustion is part of it, but you've got to find a way. You've got to find a way around that. It's the Western Conference Finals, for God's sake. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm more. Um, I blame the loss much more on what happened in the first half than what happened yes. down the stretch, for sure. Uh, and you know, look, this is it is kind of the natural flow of a playoff series where the team that's up 2-0 feels more relaxed than the and should feel more relaxed than the team down 2-0. The only thing I'll say about that is the Lakers have been really good about not being relaxed in the postseason because they've had leads. They've had big leads, big series leads. They've won their closeout games and LeBron James who, you know, obviously you know, is a walking um, encyclopedia of the right thing to say in the postseason, has said the reason he's good in, 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 in closeout games is because he, he makes sure that his teams play with more desperation than the team that's down. And the Lakers just absolutely did not do that in Game 3. Until the 10-minute mark of the fourth quarter. First time we saw it. And it was really like, I mean, it was, you really saw it in their defense. You know, I put a couple clips up, but, and and Denver's different than Portland and Houston in the way they move off the ball. And you kind of got to guard everyone through the extension of a uh, 24-second shot clock. Um, But like, you know, the way they were just mixing up assignments or like somebody would cut and Kuzma would think that, Rondo was going with him and Rondo would think Kuzma was and suddenly Michael Porter Jr. is just getting a wide open layup or that I thought was the uh, epitome of it was that possession where um, Markeith Morris and Rondo and LeBron were all like ran towards the middle and started pointing at the other one to go get each other's assignments meanwhile Monte Morris is like wow all right they just left me wide open for this corner three yeah um there was just you you haven't seen that from the Lakers and when you start to see those type of defensive breakdowns you're just like mentally they're just not there tonight yeah and even like on the on the possession where was it Danny Green uh the Lakers had an uncontested rebound and this is how bad the Lakers were at rebounding last night they have an uncontested rebound and Danny Green ends up knocking it out of White's hands was it and then and then AD was standing right there also and just the look on his face the pain that they couldn't even secure a simple defensive rebound uh it, listen you're right it wasn't their night um it i i it's it is the natural flow of a of a postseason i don't think anyone before game one was really thinking lakers sweep i think i said five you said six so we're really on track for that um i don't think there's any reason for the lakers to panic i just do think that they're there is enough of a trend going back to game two that I think the Lakers need to be careful here because it's a completely different series if they lose game four. Yeah, no doubt. To me, it's mostly just about kind of like the mindset adjustment more than schematically. I mean, Denver is doing some stuff, with, particularly with Jokic. I mean, Jokic is kind of, I think, salt. I would say more the like Jokic has kind of solved a lot of what the Lakers did to him. So he's going to remain a problem, I think. 
But if they can just be physical all together there, urgent um, from the tip in game four, I still think they're the better team. So you're saying start Dwight. I mean, again, like I said earlier, I would say start Davis, but I don't think I'm going to be listening to on that one. So, I mean, I would definitely, if you told me my two options were only JaVale or Dwight, I know which one I'm going with there. So we're going to talk to Frank Vogel in about 35 minutes uh, from, from, from right now. Um, I want you he to will use provide your... zero answers. No, but I want, you to, I want you to use your Zoom opportunity. Uh, I want you to raise your hand in the Zoom, and I want them to say Anthony Slater, and for you to say, yeah, Frank, it's Anthony Slater. Uh, I think you need to start AD and just hang up. I might. You want to know what's crazy though? I got to hop on a Warrior Zoom today. They're they're um, doing practices. They they had to go into a quarantine to do practice. By the way, I don't know if you knew this, but I accidentally saw a tweet. I've been trying to avoid any information about um, what the lottery teams are doing at this point, but I've uh, got John Hollinger's greatest contribution to the NBA, and and that's saying something. Was coining the term the delete eight so hopefully i can hop on that one but uh hop on the west finals (laughs) zooms but also got to do a bubble quarantine hey is clay thompson back from his knee injury fully zoom so well then it sounds fun times it is fun and you know what's nuts is this series will probably be over by the time we talk again next week um and we'll know whether the lakers are in the finals or not I, i think we both think they will be but they uh They have allowed this series to get more interesting than they would have liked. So until next week, I'm Bill Oram. He was Anthony Slater. This is the Forum Club. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week with a new episode.